0: I couldn't continue uh, living under the occupation and the daily bombing and Hamas sending rockets into Israel and Israel coming back with F-16s bombing, no electricity, bl- uh, polluted water, and then the war came a couple times and it just. I I like the place, but I have four kids young. One of them is uh, diabetic. He's in fourth grade and during the war we ran out of insulin. So the kid almost died. Okay, so I came to conclusion that for now I cannot continue being in Gaza during the war. The only thing I was able to do is shut off the electric circuit and turn off the cooking gas. And we ran away from the house at uh, four o'clock in the morning. That was the last I see in the house, almost one year and a half.
1: Hello, my name is Doug Klain and welcome to the Rated Paul Podcast. This week, episode 48, One Voice. Now, One Voice is an international organization working to fix the conflict in Israel and Palestine by convincing people to adopt something called the Two-State Solution. I got the opportunity this week to sit down with two people from One Voice's team named Mara Lee and Ezeldeen Masri, the guy that you heard in the beginning. Before we hear from them, though, it might help to give you some background. The story of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is a long one and one that people frequently disagree on just basic facts and how events are portrayed. If you're somebody who already has background knowledge of it, feel free to skip ahead about a minute thirty or so. Here's the short version. Both Jewish people and Arab people have lived in this stretch of land the size of Delaware on the Mediterranean for a very long time, more than a thousand years each. The land has been held under a lot of different empires, It was Ottoman territory until the Ottomans fell, and it was British territory. The British promised the Jewish people here that eventually they could have their own state, and the Arab people were promised that eventually they'd have one too. Then World War II happened, and the Nazis began exterminating the Jews in Europe. A lot of them tried to flee, but they didn't have anywhere to go. When the war ended, the British handed the problem of a Jewish state and a Palestinian state over to the newly formed United Nations, who proposed that two states be made, one for each. The Jews accepted this resolution, and the Arabs rejected it, because it felt more like European meddling to them. Israel was formed, and all the Arab neighbors declared war immediately, which the Israelis won. A few more wars were to occur over the next few decades, with Israel winning all of them. In the 1967 war, Israel captured Palestinian land that was held by the Jordanians and Egypt, known as the West Bank and Gaza respectively. These are the areas in question now, and Israeli occupation of the land is what the Palestinians want to end. In the early 90s, the Palestinians had an intifada, literally a shaking off of authority, where they protested, boycotted, and threw rocks at the Israeli military, which then cracked down on the Palestinians. After this, a violent extremist group called Hamas was founded in Gaza, and it's the only real governing organization there. Between 2000 and 2005, the Palestinians had a second intifada, this one much more violent, with countless suicide bombings and attacks against the Israelis, which were met with more violence in turn. After this, the Israelis clamped down on the Palestinians even more, making life even worse. They blockaded Gaza, started building walls around Palestinian territory, trapping them in, and heavily regulating everyday life for them. Many Israelis also began settling in Palestinian territory, and the Israeli government largely aided it with money and soldiers. Nowadays, The conflict mainly involves the settlements, resources, ending violence, and the creation of a Palestinian state rather than the occupied land. Yeah, I get that was a lot, but believe me, that was the short version. Where one voice comes into all this is it's advocating for just creating two states and having them both recognize each other and say, yeah, you are a legitimate state. Unfortunately, that's kind of tough to make happen. Here's Ezeldine Masri, the man you heard earlier. He's the regional director for One Voice on campus.
0: One Voice, we believe in the power of the ordinary citizen and we also believe in the notion that politicians don't do nothing until you push them to do so, okay? So uh, in doing so and in preparing the ground for a two-state solution, our method involved grassroots involved organizing and involved also uh, campaign uh, designing and campaign implementing and one voice uh, came to exist uh, approximately around 2003 out of the need of bridging the gap and preparing the ground among uh, ordinary Palestinians and among uh, ordinary Israelis so uh, the Israelis they had one voice Israel and the Palestinians have one voice, Palestine. Two separate uh, organizations, but they work in parallel, meaning uh, the programs are done on the, designed on the higher level and passed down okay, and agreed upon by the Israelis and the Palestinian executive team, and then each go work in his society, speak the language in his society, in support of ending the conflict, based on ending the occupation and a negotiated two-state solution. Uh, to be honest with you, at least on on the Palestinian side, okay, you are introducing a a vision and a language, a modern language that the Palestinians are not uh, familiar with. You're talking about indigenous people who were subjected to war and the majority of them, uh, more than half became refugees, live in refugee camps for 70 years. Those Engaged and became fighters, many of them uh, within the PLO, and uh, the PLO, uh, in order uh, to mobilize the people, okay, used uh, a language, okay, that. Uh, Uh, encourages the people to resist and encourages the people not to forget what happened in 1948 and encourages the people to keep to keep the keys and the deeds for their property within israel so you go and you speak peace and you speak pragmatic uh, pragmatic and uh, two-state solution in the conflict if you have uh, a room with uh, let's say 30 people maybe 10 will agree with you and 20 won't United States uh, is a leader uh, when it comes to international affairs. The United States uh, uh, was able to roll back the North Koreans when they rolled into South Korea. They were able to end the war in uh, Kosovo and in Bosnia. The United States uh, moved to uh, liberate uh, Kuwait from uh, Iraq. And the United States, uh, since 19, Uh, 88, uh, and later on after the Oslo Agreement, assumed the role of mediator between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Actually, they have monopoly over uh, the role of mediator between the Israelis and the Palestinians. They don't like to see the Russians involved in the negotiations. They don't like to see the Chinese involved. They don't like to see the Europeans involved. They want to have monopoly over it. So. This is the reality and we know that the United States is democracy and uh, we know that uh, college students are a force of uh, social change and uh, it's very evident the role of the students and the student body in stopping the Vietnam uh, War. It's very clear the role of the student, college university students in ending uh, the injustice uh, toward the African Americans and uh, accelerating the civil rights movements and for the African Americans to get their rights. And uh, we hope to accomplish uh, something similar by mobilizing uh, American students uh, in support of an immediate end to the occupation and the uh, implementation of a two state solution.
1: Here's Mara Lee.
2: I'm the executive director of One Voice in the United States, um, which basically means that um, I help to manage our programs in the United States with our key program as the, the One Voice on Campus program. And basically it's an organization that works to support and uh, amplify the work of grassroots activists on the ground. Um, we have, I think, a pretty unique model in this space, because we support Israelis working within Israeli society and Palestinians working within Palestinian society. So there's, we don't do the cross-border work or the dialogue work that that several other organizations do, um, but we really believe that there's a lot of work that needs to happen within each society. Um, in order for there to be a political mandate um, for change um, and for a negotiated uh, solution. We know that the international community has played a really important role um, in both the creation and the perpetuation um, of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and we think that the international community is also responsible for playing a role in its resolution. I had always been interested, uh, obviously, in international work and working with One Voice. Um, I worked in the region, so I was based in the Middle East for the first two years working with our teams um, in Israel and in Palestine, and really helping to, to kind of Elevate and professionalize their work um, and to really ensure that they were um, utilizing some of the best in class, best practices of organizing that have come from the civil rights movement in the United States, the labor movement in the United States, um, a lot of the, um, you know, the democratic campaign sophistication that has happened in the last 10 years to really make sure that they have um, sophisticated tools. Um, to to ensure their work is as effective and efficient as possible so obviously I think anyone working in conflict resolution whether it's on Israel Palestine or, or many of the other conflicts, unfortunately that that we see today and that are perpetuated it is it is hard to sometimes to, to stay motivated um, because the status quo is is um, is so deeply um, rooted unfortunately in this conflict um, there's a lot of people who have a stake in, in perpetuating and keeping the status quo um, but for example yesterday I was at a training in Chicago um, with students from DePaul from University of Chicago from Northeast Illinois from it was a represented six different campuses in Chicago alone um, and we did an exercise and we said you know we know what the last 50 years have looked like um, 50 years of Israeli military occupation in the West Bank. Uh, we understand, um, you know, the consequences and the violence that has occurred in the last fifty years. What do we want the next fifty years to look like? And this is exactly what is both inspiring um, as a personal and a professional in terms of understanding that. Um, college students can imagine a better future um, and are committed to working toward that. So you can you know sometimes get disappointed when you're looking at kind of the high politics um, but I think anytime you're talking with a grassroots volunteer, whether it's in Chicago or whether it's in Nablus where I was two weeks ago, um, there's a lot of reason to be inspired. And a lot of what we're doing, um, you know again is is to help find, recruit, train um, these young activists who can then um, make change in their communities. And we also amplify the work of grassroots activists in Israel and in Palestine. Sometimes you hear things that, um, you know, on one hand people will say, "No one in Israel is fighting for peace. They don't care. You know, they just go about their day-to-day lives." Or people in Palestine have given up hope. Um, you know, they life is too hard. You know, they they can't be focused on this. There's nothing is going to change. And so there's a sense of hopelessness um, among. Um, you know, among people kind of on different, all different sides of this conflict. And one of the things we really try and do is help to highlight the work of people who are literally working every single day um, in their communities, whether it's in Bejala, or it's in 'er Beersheba, or it's in Janine, um, to help organize our own communities to say, enough, we have to create, we have to create a change so the status quo isn't good for Israelis or Palestinians. You know, you can look at the Israeli Palestinian conflict from an academic perspective and, and come up with different solutions or, you know, again, kind of political solutions. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about the people that live there. Um, and so, one of the things that has always been uh, really central to One Voice's work um, and is very much a part of One Voice on campus is helping to tell the stories of people who are affected by the conflict. Um, I think it's really hard to look someone in the eye and say that we don't care or that their struggles are not worth fighting for. You know, sometimes it's so simple. It's, you know, the needs are not geopolitical or about borders or about boundaries or about sometimes even history. Um, it's really about the future. Um, and so, What is hard about that, I think, is that uh, in the the geopolitical, high politics space, um, those needs are often ignored. Um, And so I think it's really important to do exorcists like this with you so that they can imagine a better future, because if they can't imagine it, it's really hard to work toward it, and it's much, much harder to ever realize. So I think there is always a need for a hopeful future and for a belief that that things can get better
1: we're gonna take a quick commercial break but when we get back you're gonna hear more from ez about what life is actually like in palestine and why this conflict isn't just a political issue but an issue of life and death stay with us here at the radio depaul podcast
3: depaul wireless got you down again Ah! Pop on over to Snarf Sandwiches on 955 West Webster Avenue for some free Wi-Fi and some brain food. Order a delectable, handcrafted sandwich with oven-toasted bread that's crusty on the outside and soft on the inside. Mm. Gluten-free options are available, along with salads and soups. While you wait for your flawlessly constructed sandwich, check out the board game show. Don't want to wait for your food? Order ahead of time at www.eatsnarfs.com. Can't get enough snarfs, cater your event with Snarf Sandwiches, or even get it delivered to your home. Snarfalicious. It's not a word, it's a philosophy. This message brought to you by Snarf Sandwiches and Radio DePaul, Chicago's College Connection. tradition alive with Grandma Luella's recipes from the South. Stop by Luella's Southern Kitchen on 4609 North Lincoln Avenue to tickle your taste buds with the rich flavors this cuisine has to offer. With items like gumbo, grits, and collard greens on the menu, you'll consider moving to Mississippi. If you can't make it to the kitchen, you can always order online through Grubhub for delivery. For the full menu, visit www.luellasouthernkitchen.com. This message brought to you by Luella's Southern Kitchen and Radio DePaul, Chicago.
1: College connection. Welcome back to the Ray Paul Podcast. Doug here. You're going to hear one more time from Ezeldine Masri, who was born and raised in Gaza. He got his education here in the United States, went home to Gaza, but he left after one of the many conflicts with Israel. Here's says.:
0: Gaza is like a neighborhood here in Chicago, They're less with two billion people uh, under blockade. Half of them, one million, are refugees of the 1948. They live in 12 different refugee camps. Uh, Unemployment, 60% uh, blockade. They cannot go for education outside. They cannot seek uh, medical help outside. They cannot travel outside. So you're talking about big prison. And uh, and, uh, with the situation being very bad, as you know, uh, when you don't have a home, when you are poor, uh this is a hotbed for extremism okay so now we see isis emerging in hamas we see iran uh, directly having its uh, people in uh, in gaza sending weapons into gaza and uh, every year or two years you have a war like when i lived in gaza i witnessed many israeli invasions into uh, my neighborhood Mm -hmm. and i witnessed the war of 2008 2012, and finally the war of 2014, being an American citizen, the American uh, embassy helped evacuate my family and I under fire during uh, the war. That's why I'm here now, because uh, I really, you know, when I finished my master in 2003, and I moved back to Palestine with my wife and my kids. I really landed a good job with the American International School. I was assistant professor, I was assistant principal on my way to be the principal of the school. Uh, I moved into another organization called Amidist, which is education American educational organization that oversees the Fulbright uh, scholarship. I was in charge of that. And later I moved into One Voice. Okay. I owned my own house near the Mediterranean Sea, so I was good, okay? But uh, I couldn't continue uh, living under the occupation and the daily bombing and Hamas sending rockets into Israel and Israel coming back with F-16s bombing, no electricity, polluted water. And then the war came a couple times and it just, I, I like the place, but I have four kids young. One of them is uh, diabetic. He's in fourth grade. And during the war, we ran out of insulin. So the kid almost died. Okay, so I came to conclusion that for now, I cannot continue being in Gaza. During the war, the only thing I was able to do is shut off the electric circuit and turn off the cooking gas, and we ran away from the house at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning. That was the last I see in the house, like almost one year and a half. I moved to the West Bank, to Ramallah, and uh, for almost one year, working for One Voice in Ramallah. But the Israelis wouldn't renew my permit to stay in Ramallah because I'm from Gaza, and the Israelis uh, control Ramallah. So they wanted you know, permission, and they didn't give me a permission. My wife is American. She's not Palestinian. They refused to give her renew her visa, so I couldn't stay in Ramallah. And then I told one voice that I'm going back to Chicago because I cannot go back to Gaza. I cannot stay in Ramallah. And then the idea of working on campus came up, and uh, that's when I came to Chicago last year.
1: If you ever felt like you could go back, would you? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Why? I came to America in 1990 uh, as a student, F1 visa student. I came with the intention of uh, attending American universities and going back to Palestine and be part of the state building and and be a statement for Palestine. During my stay in America almost 13 years studying, I met my American wife Yvette and she applied for my residency and that's how I became American. I love America, it's my second home, Uh, but I love Palestine, I'm Palestinian American and I want to use my education, the one I acquired here in the United States, and the skills. And I want to be part of uh, building the Palestinian state and I want to be a statement in the Palestinian state. Yeah.
1: When when do you think that you'd be able to just as soon as things end? five years and ten years and thirty years? I'm, I'm, I'm
0: from Gaza. Okay. So Gaza for me is home. Okay. So I believe uh, once there is no blockade on Gaza and there is a free access in and out of Gaza and Gaza and the West Bank becomes free from the Israeli uh, direct military occupation uh, I could go back. I have a house, I have land, and I have extended family. I have uh, more than one job I could do there either with the government or with the universities or different schools. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that is doable. I believe that is doable. And uh, I believe uh, that I'm going to see it. I want to see it. I want to see the end of this conflict. I want to see a Palestinian state alongside with Israel living in peace with economic cooperation between the two countries, security cooperation between the two countries, and uh, hopefully I will live enough to see that. (laughs) that's my goal in life if you ask me what you want I would tell you I want to see an end to this conflict and I want to see myself able to go back to my house in Gaza Isolde
1: Masri from One Voice that's our show for today this episode was written and produced by myself, Doug Klain, with additional editing from Sarah Breedlove. Thanks to Ezeldine Mazury and Marilee from One Voice. If you're interested in learning more about their organization and how you can get involved, check out their website, onevoicemovement.org. They have a presence on most college campuses, especially here in Chicago and in New York. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd really appreciate hearing from you, so leave us a review in the iTunes store and like our Facebook page. Thanks again to our great sponsors, Snarf's Sandwiches and Luella's Southern Kitchen. We're always fans of some mean grub here at Radio DePaul. If you want to hear more from Radio DePaul, download the Radio DePaul app, available both on the App Store and Google Play. You can listen to all of our live broadcasts as well as more episodes of this podcast. Additionally, Radio DePaul has launched a brand new podcast called Mistaken Eggs, a great comedy and entertainment show from our very own Joe D'Amico. I listened to the first episode just the other day, and I am already a huge fan. You can find Mistaken Eggs on our SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening in. My name is Doug Klein, and this is the Radio DePaul Podcast. Is it ahead? Is it all?